Hey guys, Chris Opila, Associate Pastor at Frontline, here back with you again with Frontline's Men's Ministry Podcast. I've got some great content coming to you over the next several weeks. I've been sitting down with Ita Udoka, a longstanding member of Frontline, and this is a man who is following Christ, is connecting with the Lord, and also leading out in great responsibility and leadership. And I've gotten to dive into his experiences, his perspectives, and his walk with the Lord uh, over a few sessions together. And so uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be releasing these episodes focusing in on leadership and leadership from a biblical perspective, leadership in uh, both the church and in secular arenas. I hope you'll be able to to dive into these. There are some rich leadership principles, whether you are someone who leads hundreds or you just lead yourself. Our conversations are going to connect you with God and with others in a powerful way. Today, we're focusing in on just introducing you to Etah uh, and the identity of a leader who rejects passivity and accepts the responsibility to lead out in loving others, and that happens by influencing others. And so I'd like to introduce you to Etah here and jump right in. All right, well, I'm excited here today. I'm sitting with Ita Udoka. A uh, long-standing member and part of Frontline uh, in various types of roles. Welcome, Ita. Thanks, Chris. Uh, good to be here. Good to be with you. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. I love your mind. Uh, you have such great perspectives. You have grown me as a man and as a leader. And mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for your influence here at Frontline and in my life. Uh, and today, uh, your first podcast... I'm excited yes, about that. It I, is. I, I was surprised that it was your first podcast, but it is a long time coming. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, really interesting. Never got a chance to do something like this, but I know you're going to make it fun. Um, and I'm glad if, if I was going to have a podcast session with anyone, I'm glad it's with you, Chris. So, <laughs> well, uh, I've admired you as a leader, it's your vocation. And I'm excited to, to pick your brain over the next uh, four episodes to learn more for myself and for those who are going to be listening to these uh, to grow us as leaders. And so what I'd, I'd like to do is over the next four episodes work through different topics. Uh, today we're just kind of introing you as a leader uh, and leadership in general because uh, men are called by God to, to take ownership and to take leadership in areas of life to make differences for other people. That's the essence behind the call to love others as we love ourselves. Amen. And so uh, what I'd like to do is just to start with who you are, intro to you to uh, those who are listening today. So tell us who you are, uh, where you're from, how long you've been part of Frontline, and what roles you've been playing here. Uh, thanks, Chris. Again, thanks for just... Um, the invitation to do this. Um, so that's, that question you ask is probably the hardest question I think um, you're going to ask me in all of these <laughs> sessions. <It's, laughs> that's fair. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, because my, my answer to that has always been complex, right? Um, I, I consider myself, um, I'm American by birth. I'm Nigerian by blood. And I'm a world citizen by experience. Fair enough. Um, if you would have asked me years ago um, who I was, it probably, my responses would have maybe been more focused on what I did. Hmm. Uh, today, I, my answer to that is I'm a king's kid. Amen. Uh, I am a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a sinner saved by grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I am designed purposefully. I am forged in accordance with a promise. Amen. You know, um, You're preaching 
Bible verses right now about <laughs> who we are in Christ. Man. Well, I, love I mean, that. it's I, I think those things have to become fact to you mm-hmm. uh, in order to actually delve into what we're going to be talking about. This whole leadership 100%. idea. It, it's hard to lead when you don't know who you are. Mm. Um, and and you can't lead if you're trying to figure that out. Mm. You know, that's it's not a... I mean, it's one thing to sort of, you know, sort of learn as you go, but when when others are counting on you, uh, I think there's a set, certain level of assurance you need to walk into the room with, knowing that you're you belong there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not a mistake. Uh, you're called for a purpose. Uh, and you're called to make a difference. And, and so that's why that question is so loaded, and, and we have to be able to answer that. Um, and notice I haven't said anything about my parents. Fair you know, yeah. it's, it's all about who was I created, uh, what was I created for, and who I believe I am. And that whole identity is who I am in Christ. Um, and, and maybe that came over time, uh, for me to get to a place where I can answer that with confidence and that there are scars along the way. Oh, yeah. And that's why I said forged in accordance with a promise um, because the promises that God makes aren't of this good life that we sometimes envision. Mm-hmm. You know, um, God did promise um, in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I know the plans that I have for you, right? But he also promised that in this life you will have trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Right? And so it's, it's when, you, when you see your battle scars and you see all that you go through, mm-hmm. um, answering that question, who are you, yeah. it becomes rather important, uh, especially those of us in the military who... Um, the job that we're called to do um, is is a very difficult one. Um, we we pledge uh, to sacrifice for an ideal, hmm. uh, and that sacrifice can be ultimate. It, it it it's for some people, and you see it. Um, many of our comrades in arms who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. And so when you're called into that space as a leader, uh, it's not a job. Mm-hmm. It, we, none of us punch in a clock. You know, we don't come in with a time clock that, that turns off at, at a certain hour of the day. It's a 24-hour-a-day commitment. Absolutely. And so, um, and oh, by the way, it is not divorced from our calling uh, in Christ Jesus. Mm. There's no separation of it. It's the same person, and yeah. so I don't get to compartmentalize my 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 walk, you know, from tent making as yeah. as Paul did, or carpentry as Christ did. Mm. You know, there was no carpenter Jesus, and then Jesus Jesus. It was the same dude. Absolutely. That sort of walked the earth, yeah. you know, and so I think so. Anyone who aspires to leadership. Um, needs to be able to answer the question of who they are, hmm. uh, and and sometimes just repeating that. It's like this is who I am in Christ, and that is independent of any external thought. Hmm. You know what yeah. anyone else thinks really doesn't affect that. That's right. You know, and that that sort of helps um, the rest of the story. Yeah, it's very so, tempting to yeah. find our identity in different. Uh, people, different measures, yeah. right? We can say possessions, or, but when we ground our identity by the renewal of our mind, yeah. then in Christ, then we are able to, to truly stand on a foundation, a strong foundation. I struggled with that early mm. in my career. Really? I struggled with that. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Nigeria. I came back to the U.S. after my 18th birthday, and um, I, I was, I called myself, now I look back and I felt like I was an intersection, hmm. right? I, I had this, this British Nigerian accent. 
I had this interesting name. So I, I wasn't, but I was an American citizen. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't sound American, but I also didn't sound Nigerian. Hmm. And and so I didn't know where I fit in. Sure. You know, and so I'm, I'm struggling um, with trying to figure out who I am. Yeah. And, and I remember just trying to navigate that. And in my spirit, something just kept saying, just be. Hmm. Just be, you know. Um, but when you're that age and you're... you're you're younger and you really want to be accepted somewhere because it's it's a human it's a human tendency we want to be accepted um yeah it was a struggle Mm -hmm. and throughout college you know all the way up to you know when I came on active duty I was still struggling and and one day it was just like a megaphone and just that that just be kept repeating itself Mm. And, and it was like, what are you trying to prove? And who are you trying to prove it to? Wow. And, and so once I settled that in my own spirit, uh, I think it changed my mindset. Wow. You know, it's just like I was already created for a purpose. Absolutely. You know, everything that I needed uh, was already in me. The Holy Spirit was already in me. Amen. And... Um, I was on this journey out there like the prodigal son searching for meaning mm-hmm. when I already had meaning, Amen. you know, and yeah. that, that proverbial coming to yourself, you know, and I just thank God I wasn't in a pigsty when it happened, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, it, it's, but it felt like one, you know, sure. cause how, you know, cause there's that initial regret. Like I felt like I had wasted so much time mm-hmm. searching when, when, and you know, thank glory be to God, God never left, mm. right? I was the one, you know, out on this journey and on these exit ramps, you know, trying to find meaning in things that were never going to give me meaning. That's it. You know, and, and, and so that glorious welcome back party, you know, that mm. homecoming when you finally get it. And, and yeah, there's a little bit of regret, but then it's just like, now those are just battle scars. Yeah. You know, those are just battle scars. You can lead others through their own journey to that point because you know it. Oh, yeah. You know that path and you know how wonderful the embrace of the Father is at the end of that path. Yes. I think interestingly, so as a parent, um, because as parents, we want so much for our children. Mm. And one of the selfish things we do as parents, and I know this is not a podcast about parenting, but one of the selfish things we do as parents is we want our children to avoid all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. But what we're also doing is robbing them of the opportunity for resiliency. Sure. You know, and and that this this idea of. this journey that you go on and some of the, the I call it discovery learning, right, that, that we tend to have. Yeah. And imagine a world where, and we're, we're there, where we see people who uh, aren't resilient. And uh, in that first storm that comes up, mm-hmm. you know, just like the disciples who were in a storm and Christ was right there in the boat with them, and he was, you know, fast asleep, and they were freaking out. Mm-hmm. And they were yelling at him. Oh yeah. And it's just like you've been hanging with him this whole time, and where is your resilience? Yeah. You know, you have Christ Himself in the boat with you. So I, I think you know that's part of that process. I have come to appreciate um, in my own development is just trust the process. You know, um, you can't say that will be done and then complain of having had a bad day. When it's his will that's guiding you. You asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, tell us about your leadership journey. So you you start Uh, with that identity. Tell us a little bit more about your, your first experiences leading up to today. Um, so I went to, um, 
I told you I grew up in Nigeria, and when I was 10 years old, I went to a, a, a military school in mm-hmm. Nigeria. And that was what I would consider my first formal exposure to uh, structure and leadership. Wow. Right? Um, I didn't hear the term leadership, but that was it. You sure. Know, there were, we were, you know, young kids in formation, wearing uniforms. There was someone in charge. That person barked orders, mm-hmm. and, and we followed their orders. Sure. And when you didn't follow their orders, there was consequences, yeah. you know. And so, uh, and I was 10. ten I was 10 years, years old. old. Uh, and so, I've been wearing a uniform since I was 10. Wow. Right? So, that's a pretty long time. And, and so, that was my exposure to leadership. Um, personally, I shied away from it. Mm. Um, you know... Even though my my mom um, would have said I was a rambunctious kid and that I was probably the kind of person who would have been an out front leader mm-hmm. in military school, I I didn't I wasn't a standout hmm. for my first couple of years, uh, and then later on I think maybe towards uh, my junior year um, I got given my first leadership opportunity and I was like uh, I think they they called me a, a military provost okay. so it's kind of like military police uh-huh. and I was made a provost and we got to wear these white berets and and nice. I was in charge of discipline and power <laughs> well so it was interesting because yeah maybe there was some power that, but I wasn't the leader of the squadron uh-huh. I was in the squadron there was a leader but I was the guy that I was kind of like that enforcer, mm-hmm. which I think part of it in my mind, I felt like I was the wrong person huh. to give that job to just because I just didn't have that personality. Yeah. Um, but that was my first exposure to leadership and seeing it in a military context. Uh, I didn't necessarily think deeply about it at the time, um, but I think it was, you know, foundational for me hmm. uh, and introduce this idea of structure and that and that there are rules and rules are put in place for a reason they sort of give you left and right limits on mm-hmm. what to do and what's out of bounds yeah. uh, and someone uh, has to be put in charge to help guide that formation towards a certain goal or objective yeah. or mission or vision those kinds of things um, so that was my first introduction. And then, of course, in the, in the U.S., joining the military, joining the Air Force, I didn't really have leadership roles early on. I was more in a support role, more of an action officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I just wanted to be below radar. I didn't want to be noticed. just wanted to do my job, mind yeah. my own business, and... and sort of go on that way interesting um and and that's when someone introduced me to the idea of mentorship Mm. and and it was the most interesting way to be introduced you know i ran into a guy in the hallway and he goes hey do you have a mentor i said i don't know what that is he says i tell you what i want you to call me every two weeks if i have to call you first that's a bad thing Mm. so i was scared into mentoring right and so (laughs) Uh, and so I followed orders, and every two weeks I would meet with this individual, still my mentor till this day, That's one amazing. of my mentors, and uh, and he would just take me around to meet leaders, hmm. and and I didn't know the purpose at the time, and so uh, finally I just said, hey, why do you keep doing this? He goes, well, I just kind of want you to see how these guys operate, yeah. and he goes, what do I do with all that? I said, no, just ask them whatever comes to mind. Hmm. Um, and so my question at the time, and, you know, one of my questions, burning questions, the first chance I had to meet a senior officer in the Air Force, I asked him, what role does your faith play in how you make decisions? Seriously. Wow. That was my question. What did he say? Uh, most bizarre answer. 
He said, well, you know, I don't go to church. I uh, drop my wife and daughter off and come back home and watch the game. Mm-hmm. And so I remember looking down at my notes, fake writing something, and looking back up. And that was the only question I asked him. Wow. All right. And then when we left, I made a decision right there and then that that guy was not going to be in my network. Mm-hmm. One, he didn't answer the question. Sure, yeah. Because I didn't really ask him about church. Right. I just wanted to know if, if you're a person of faith and you have to make military decisions, how do you, how do you navigate that? Mm. And he never answered that question. And so, mm. and I remember I had just, I had read Psalms and Psalms empowered me into believing that I got to pick who my counselors were. Mm. Right, and I just decided there and then he was not going to be a counselor. Yeah. Right, and and then fast forward, I pr- I remember praying that God should bring people into my life who would make me understand this leadership thing from His perspective. Uh, and I met another senior officer, and uh, I was struggling with a career question about assignment and all this stuff, and I came to him, and I knew he was going to tell me exactly what to do. And I said, hey, sir, here's what's going on. And, you know, here's a decision. And can you help me? And he looked at me and he said, so have you prayed about this? Wow. What's your family think? I love that. And I was stunned. I was like, "Uh, no, sir. And he says, I tell you what, why don't you go do that? And then come see me afterwards. I like that. He's still my mentor Come till on. this day. Absolutely. Right? And, and so I think, so to answer your question about my formative years of leadership, it was people like that who mm-hmm. sort of shaped this idea of leaders being influential in spaces outside of the four worlds, four walls uh, of a sanctuary. Yeah. Right? That you can actually... Uh, be a, a person of faith and and still do and still display the characters, the characteristics that God would have you Amen. E- even in secular spaces. Absolutely. Without having, and he never quoted a scripture. Mm-hmm. He just said, hey, have you prayed about it? I was like, no, I haven't. It's like, well, go do that. Yeah. And then come back and let's talk. Um, and, and so for me, it's been that way as I have gone through my own evolution uh, as a man and and I've, I've had leadership roles um, looking back now um, I've, I've always God has always put me in opportunities to influence mm-hmm. and it wasn't always in the visible positions of influence, but it was somewhere where I was always afforded an opportunity to influence. Mm. And so I remember my, my first commander job, I was a flight commander. Mm-hmm. There were only 10 people in my flight. And I say that now, but it was 10 people God needed me to influence. Absolutely. Right? And so, you know, it's like, how do you do that for 10 people? And it was intimidating because most of them were older than I was. Mm. Like, what am I telling these 10 people? Some of them have kids my age. Wow. Right? Yeah. And then next time I had a chance to lead, it was one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then I was in a support role in Afghanistan where it was 700 people, wow. but I was supporting the guy in charge. Got it. Yeah. You know? Um, or I was supporting a general officer who was in charge of 30-something thousand people. And I remember walking in and saying, I'm just, I'm just going to pray for this guy every day. Wow. You know, and so this idea of leaders being influential doesn't necessarily mean you have a pulpit, a podium, or in our case, a guide on, right? It just means whatever it is that God has gifted you with and called you to do, mm-hmm. whether it's one person, 50 people, or 10,000, just lead. Absolutely. Just lead. Um, do what thus says the Lord. 
uh, with love, with grace, with mercy, um, and, you know, just plant seeds, you know, just plant seeds and God takes care of the rest. Yeah. With know. however many people, it's oh, the yeah. same responsibility yeah, yeah. and the same character, whether people are looking or not. That is the essence of leadership. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, move more toward talking a little bit about passivity. Mm. Uh, right before we started, Ita, I was talking about how that it was uh, one of the sins in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Uh, Adam was passive in a moment, a critical moment, didn't step up to the leadership plate. And I loved what you said, that is a man's easy button, in a sense. Um, yes. When we want to escape responsibility, uh, being passive is an easy button way out of it. Um, so tell me about uh, what helps you reject passivity and promote responsibility to make a difference even for one person. So in, in, in my line of work um, as, as a service member, um, that can be a cancer. Mm. Um, sometimes it's worse the the inability to make a decision yeah. is worse hmm. than um, knowing what you know and maybe pushing making the wrong call. Uh, it just it it spreads like a cancer, um, and and so when you look at it, you know not just from you know what we do in our roles as service members, but even in our families. Uh, it is escapism, and it is you know if sometimes it's conflict avoidance. Yep. You know if if you if you don't like conflict and you just don't want to hear it anymore, you just push the easy button and just like yeah whatever. Mm. You know you may not say that out loud, but that's your body language, yeah. and that's that's what's received. Um, and and I think knowing that you know. Uh, old folks used to say when you know better you do better mm. you know so I, I think knowing that passivity is not an option uh, good. Is, is, is one filter to use like no you have to be play an active role in this because mm. it's impactful um, now that's different from from gifting right so mm. if, if you're in a situation where like say you lead a team you're leading a team, and Bob is obviously the best at this. Mm-hmm. And Bob comes in and goes, I've seen this before. Here's all the information, um, and I, I, I recommend we go this way. And, and everyone's sort of doing the head nod, like, yeah, what Bob said. Right? And so at that point, as the decider, as the leader in the room, so certain things come into play. Do you trust Bob? Mm-hmm. That's good. Do you trust Bob? Does everyone else trust Bob? And is the information and the data that Bob is presenting, does that lead you to a similar conclusion? Hmm. Then go with Bob. Yeah. Right? That's not passivity. That's, we call that a data-driven decision. Yeah. But it's not simply just data. There's an element of trust that we have. Yeah. What do you right? do if you don't trust Bob? What do you, yeah. Well, if you don't trust Bob, then, you know, you're kind of listening and you, you, the body language sort of tells you, right? So you look at Bob and it's like, well, Bob has kind of led us down some wrong roads in the past. And everybody's, you know, there's a little bit of that side eye that people are making. It's like, mm, you know, <laughs> that, we call it the sucking teeth sound, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and so when they when they start doing that, you know, as that leader, you know, you have some choices to make. And, you know, and this is what we were talking about earlier, where you say, you know, Bob, can I think about that? Mm-hmm. Let me let me sleep on that and and I'll I'll make a decision. I mean, but let me, let me give me some time to think about it. Right. Uh, but it's still your decision as, as a, as a leader. It's still your decision, you know, and. In a family scenario, sometimes depending on the dynamic, right? Because you have different gifts, 
in, in the family and and people some people are really good at certain things and others are good at other things um and and that's where you know you just can't be passive you have to be that good listener same 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 process you listen and you just say yeah that makes sense to me mm-hmm. you know and and i think sometimes we're either combative or just argumentative for no reason you know um you know there there's some people who just have that that you know they just have to counter everything you say mm-hmm. you know and i've met people i have some oh, yeah. i have folks like that i've seen them on every team it's like every time someone has an opinion it's like oh yeah but you know you know that's just not gonna work <laughs> right <laughs> it, it, you know and so and usually whoever presents that um, I call them problem identifiers, <laughs> you know, because they never come back with a better option. You know, they can tell you that the problem doesn't is not going to work, but they yeah. never have. So it's it's like you listen to it and you go, yeah, I, that I think that that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in those scenarios where you know listening. Getting the data, and yeah, if if there is a lack of trust, we have a problem as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've I've spoken to so many different groups uh, where trust doesn't exist, the play crumbles. Oh, yeah. um, and think about it in in American football, for example. There is a lot of trust built in to an offensive play yeah. that's communicated in code shared within seconds, received by everyone concerned Mm -hmm. in a matter of seconds, could be changed in the next two seconds (laughs) and executed to perfection all in less than 40 seconds. Come on. Right? But that that happens in football, and the only way that happens is when there's trust. Mm -hmm. Imagine what happens when someone on that team hears that code and goes, ah, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys keep trying this thing and it, it just crumbles. Yeah. It crumbles. And you've seen, and you know, those of you who watch football, you've seen plays crumble. And I can almost guarantee you there was someone, there's a lack of trust of someone who was not paying attention when they needed to be. Mm-hmm. And And then if you're, you know, if you're a quack psychologist like I am, you might go, so why were they distracted? Mm. What's going on there? Yeah. And as a leader, that's what I'm thinking, you know, because oh, I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, I always have my radar tuned. When, when people are giving you different feedback, you know, you always want to go, well, where is that coming from? Right. Um, I remember when I was a commander one time, uh, people would get into trouble, whether it was alcohol related or something. Mm-hmm. And it would come to my attention. Uh, my first question was always, were they alone? Mm. Were they by themselves? Because uh, chances are if they were by themselves and there's a sense of they felt like they didn't belong to something bigger. Yeah. You know, because when you feel like you belong to something bigger, there's a commitment that, that you have Absolutely. to ensuring you're always plugged in. Yeah. Right? And, and so if you think about all the teams you've been involved with, whenever you've had that one issue, that one person, if you peel the onion back far enough, there's always that sense of me versus us, mm. I versus we, yep. you know, and there's someone who's dealing with a lot of I and a lot of me and not seeing us, right. you know, and a so, isolation. yeah, and so leaders have to, there's, there is a, there's a there's a frequency you almost have to operate on as a leader. Um, one, even in the way you communicate, mm-hmm. I, I I'm very sensitive to using a lot of we and a lot mm-hmm. of our. Even when I write, That's it, it's it's we, it's our, it's us. It's a two letter word, but yeah. it makes a huge difference. Exactly versus I and me and you know I you know there's moral leadership and then there's positional leadership. Sure. You know, and, and people will will refer to me because of my title, 
but moral leadership is earned. That's it. You know, it's it's earned, and 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 I feel like my job and our jobs in the workplace as leaders is to create an environment where people actually want to be there, mm-hmm. versus have to be there. Absolutely. You know, and and so our families aren't any different. Mm-hmm. You know, I was asked recently what my what my biggest accomplishment was so far and I said that my family actually still wants to be around me Mm, that's good you know I know they love me yeah but do they still want me around you know do they still laugh at my jokes you know do we want to be in the same room together yeah you know and, and so for leaders whether it's at home or at work do you have an environment that people feel like they want to be there, feel like they're mm. heard, feel like they're included uh, and accepted yeah. in that space. And that even though that you don't always take their suggestion, you heard their suggestion. Absolutely. You acknowledged it, you received it. And if you made a different decision, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But they have to feel that. Yep. You know, And that's, that's the world we are in now where people are now empowered uh, to let you know almost instant feedback mm-hmm. that they don't feel included. Yeah. You know, they're present, but they don't feel included. Right. And, and leaders, we own that responsibility to hear folks in our spaces, listen, acknowledge that their voices do matter. Mm-hmm. And then having received their input, our, our decision is even richer because we heard everyone and everyone didn't sound like us. Yeah, that's it. You know, because groupthink is dangerous. Yeah, they feel like they're a valued member of the team. Yeah. They belong yeah. to this place. Yeah. And, and whether or not they got their way this time, they still have a chance next time. <laughs> and, and you know, Chris, that's not, that's not a popularity contest mm-hmm. either. Um, I, I don't go to work. I don't go to my, in my to, to where I serve hoping to be liked that, that's not my role you know not that's not what I'm called to do and, you know so they don't necessarily have to like me they just have to want to be there to accomplish this goal that we have yeah. together yeah I mean that's a lot of hours to spend with the same group of people to accomplish a goal now oh, yeah. uh, liking each other's presence is a byproduct of the environment but it's not why I go there. I don't, I, it doesn't shift my self-esteem one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, I do have a responsibility to, to care for people, to love people the way I've been loved, to treat them in, in, with dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. All of that matters. Um, but I'm not going there to get high fives every day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not the like button on social media. It's, you know, there's a there's a tough job ahead, and we do better, you know, when when there's this collegial environment mm-hmm. where everyone contributes. Absolutely, you know, when there's so. cohesiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us as we wind this this yeah. episode down, what difference you have seen God make through your leadership. Wow. So we, we could we could do ten sessions with that question. Um, <laughs> let's, let's do just a few minutes. Yeah, with, I with know. One or two things. Uh, so one, I you know, leadership is a gift. I believe it's a gift. It's a privilege, uh, and it's given by those who follow us. Um, and for me, this journey that I have been on, um, sometimes I didn't even realize what God was doing. Hmm. Uh, one one story that all, that comes to mind for me, and it, it was a turning point uh, in in my in my career. Uh, it happened actually almost twenty years ago. Wow! I was serving in in Korea, hmm. um, and part of my job entailed going around uh, South Korea to some of our bases and just reviewing what was going on, getting us ready for whatever inspections were coming up. 
And I remember on one trip, I uh, went to a certain base, and I was, this young lady, she was in charge of a certain program. So I walked into her office and said, hey, how you doing? How's it going? And, and we talked for about 10 minutes, you know. It was, she was a little overwhelmed because we were getting ready for an inspection, and so she was making sure all her paperwork was in order and you know things. And so, had a conversation with her. I can't till this day remember what it was, hmm. but we just talked for about ten minutes, yeah. and then I left. Um, this was two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Fast forward seven years later, two thousand nine. Uh, I'm here in Germany. And I'm I'm at an event, and I hear this voice, and they're just screaming my name, you know, and it's this young lady, Mm. and she rushes up to me, it's like, oh my God, so good to see you, and and you know, we're catching up. Uh, At this point, she was out of the military, and you know, was onto another career, Uh, and she goes, do you remember that day Mm. you walked into my office in Korea? I was like, you know, yeah, I remember, you know, and 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 I, I couldn't remember what we talked about, and I was, I hoped she wouldn't quiz me. <laughs> uh, and she goes, well, here's what you don't know. Um, uh, night before, a couple of nights before, my ex-husband had divorced divorced me by email, mm-hmm. and I was I was just going through the worst time of my life. Mm-hmm. I was under a lot of pressure, and. The night before you walked in, I had decided I was going to kill myself Mm. until you walked in that morning and you spoke to me. Wow. And that changed my mind. Mm. I was flabbergasted. Wow. And I mean, at this point, I'm going through my internal database going, what did you say? What did you? I couldn't remember what I said. But whatever it was. It was life-giving. Mm-hmm. And I remember just hearing just the Holy Spirit loud and clear just remind me of Scripture, just James. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And, and you're just remembering mm-hmm. all of those. And I just stood there frozen, just thinking, wow. Um, and this was right before I was taken on a commander role to lead a almost 400 person unit. Oh wow. I hadn't even started that job yet and God was revealing to me how powerful my words were going to be. That's awesome. You know, and that this was something that happened 7 years prior. Um so I went into that commander job very attuned mm-hmm to the power of words uh, to impact people on a day-to-day basis. Uh, And so whenever I would speak, you know, because God has given me this this gift of storytelling, I'd be able to tell stories and weave weave stories together into whatever I was communicating. And it was always interesting to me, the believers in the audience would come to me afterwards and say, I know where that's from. You know, and then non-believers would say, that was a really neat story. I'd like to talk to you some more about that if if, if there's an opportunity. And and so all that to say is is that um, I think for for leaders and anyone who aspires to be a leader, um, yes, there are books you can read to learn other people's journeys through leadership. But I believe the best tool you have is mm-hmm. your own gift your own story and and the ability to connect uh what you bring to the table with those you've been called to lead and it's different because we all have different gifts absolutely you know and we've all gone through a different journey and the one thing about especially military leadership is you're instantly going to be faced with a diverse population mm-hmm. instantly Everybody's not going to come from your neighborhood. Everybody's not going to come from your state. That's it. You know, everybody's not going to listen to your kind of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not all going to believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. But you're still called to lead them. You're still called to influence them. Um, and, you know, what was interesting for me is n- not once did I ever mention a Bible verse. Mm-hmm. 
I just told stories, yeah. you know, and, um, and, and it, to me, I was planting seeds. And, and I remember the, um, the story of the three soils, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I spoke on this once here at Frontline. As much, I've read that parable so many times, and it, it, I always, you know, we're always like, oh, yeah, great story. We should, we should all aspire to be the good soil. But what got me about that story, which I have used in my journey as a leader, is this was an experienced farmer. Mm-hmm. Why would an experienced farmer throw seed on bad soil? Great question. I mean, you know what, where the good stuff is. I mean, he was throwing stuff on concrete. You know, and and yeah, it, it was used to, to illustrate what good soil is, but the fact is the farmer spent probably spent a lot of money to get the seeds mm-hmm. and almost wasted some of them. And but it's not really waste. So for me as a leader is hey, you're gonna have all kinds of soil mm-hmm. and your job is to get all of it to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the challenge. <laughs> That's the challenge. It's like, yeah, I get all of it to work. And, and, and so, you know, and, and those above you have appointed you to do that job. You know, we have this thing we say in the military. We say, you know, um, mission first, people always. Mm-hmm. You know, as we, we say that. And I remember I had a boss one time who, who put it to me differently, and I've sort of taken that and held on to it he said um, America is not going to care how well you take care of your people if you lose the next war Wow! but you got to take care of them if you want to win it that's it and I I heard that and I was like is that semantics but what he meant was there is a number one job right no matter how happy the New England Patriots locker room was, it didn't matter if they would have lost that Super Bowl to the Falcons. Mm-hmm. But because their locker room was the way it was, they won that Super Bowl, came from behind in the second half, and just won it. Yeah. Right? And so it's a subtle difference. And I think sometimes a lot of leaders lead with that, yeah, I got to take care of everybody. Yeah. Just like you have to be a good dad. I'm not giving you a cookie for that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. But there's an objective that you have to accomplish mm-hmm. in this role. And that's what we pay you for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's for that objective. The outcomes. Yeah. And if you fail at that, you know, we're not going to ask you how happy people were. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so leaders have to be clear um, we're not asking you to, to have this happy-go-lucky environment. We're asking you to accomplish great things. You know? And trust me, even the 12 disciples weren't all happy. That's so true. You know, if you want an analogy, not all 12 of them were happy. They all had different motives. Mm-hmm. Some of them were overly ambitious. One of them was there for the money. Yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, they all had different motives, and, and the leader was very clear-eyed about his objective, mm-hmm. why he was there. And, and when Christ was all said and done with his mission, he knew his people so well. His prayer in John just laid out. It's like, you know what, Lord, I've done what I came to do. Uh, this is who I'm leaving behind and I'm leaving them in your hands mm-hmm. right and, yeah. and so because they still deserted them you know um, and so for us as leaders is when we leave when we leave they're probably not going to remember the stuff they probably won't remember the stuff we did they will always remember who we are and who we were to them. Yeah. You know, in my case, you know, 26 years um, in the military, those who still email me don't email me about some mission we accomplish. Right. You know, when they send messages back to me, it's probably because of how I treated them, mm-hmm. you know, and how I made them feel. 
or better yet, how God made them feel through me. Amen. So that's good. That also sets us up, Lita, for uh, the next one, which we're going to look at uh, hard versus soft leadership <laughs> styles. Oh, so, that's going to be a good one. Uh, <laughs> Definitely need the outcome. Yeah. How you get there is a different story. So anyway, Ita, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. This has been good. This is fun. I uh, I enjoyed it. Me too. Podcast rule. (laughs) 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 Well, guys, I am taking away from this first sit down with Ita. He said really early on, you cannot lead if you do not know who you are. And that, that is such a powerful statement because if, if you're listening to this and you're probably a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, I, I invite you to reach out and say, how do I become a follower of Jesus? But, it, but if you are already a follower of Jesus, your identity is founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has good works planned for you to walk in And some of those require leading and influencing others. When you are secure in your identity in him, uh, I loved Ita's catchphrases of who he knows he is. When you feel secure in that, you can walk in leadership well. Because how you accomplish outcomes are not dependent. Uh, It does not write who your identity is. Your identity is already founded in Christ. And so I want to challenge you to think through who you are and how that affects you as a leader. Because you're invited by the Lord to love him and to love others. And that ultimately means influencing others for his glory. If you enjoyed this episode, we're going to be uh, jumping back, just as we mentioned at the end, uh, into a second uh, interview talking about hard versus soft leadership styles, what is toxic, how does that affect the way we achieve outcomes. It's going to be a great conversation. Uh, that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And then, guys, we will, uh, you're, we're welcome to give feedback, send a message, write questions out, send it to us at men at frontlinecommunity.org. We'd love to hear from you and your feedback. Until next time, guys, know who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. Thank you.